0: All right, good morning, everyone. We're going to get started here. Uh, Thank you for joining us uh, as we continue our series on the Soldier of Christ. Uh, Let's open up with prayer. Lord, Father in heaven, we just thank you so much uh, for this day and uh, thank you for raising your son from the dead uh, to bring us salvation, Lord. I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds um, that we would uh, take these words to heart uh, knowing that they are your words, not my words, Lord. uh, That we can... Be committed to you and have discipline in our lives, Lord. In Your Son's name, Amen. This morning, our topic is "Know Your Orders," and uh, should have a. There you go. Now, the purpose of this sermon is to motivate us to know what the will of God is for our lives, and the way we can do that is by knowing our manual. Now, I thought I'd keep with the war theme and start out with a war analogy. Uh, This right here is a field operating manual. This is actually the Law of War Handbook. And as of 2007, there were over 542 different field operating manuals in the U.S. Army that they used. And each soldier had to know, to the point of memorization, any manual pertaining to his point of service. Now, in light of Matthew's sermon last week, we know that we are all soldiers. More than that, we are soldiers behind enemy lines. We are not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. So the first thing a soldier would do if they were trapped behind enemy lines is recall the training that they have been given, both through boot camp and through the field operating manual. The second thing that they would try to do is try to establish contact with the headquarters. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Knowing your manual and our communication with the commander. So let's start by establishing why it's important to know your manual and why we should apply it to our lives. Now we have been given a field operating manual and that is the word of God. I borrowed this from Caleb Balling. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and the reason that the Word of God is our manual is because it has authority. Now, if you ever get into a discussion about why it has authority, it's important to know why. So I just thought I'd cover three of the main ways it has authority. Now, it's important to understand that the Scripture is self-affirming in its authority. First, God's Word has authority because... It's been breathed out by the mouth of God. Second Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now there are other books that claim to be oracles of God, like the Quran or the Book of Mormon. However, the important distinction to make is that the scripture is inerrant. In the sixty six books of the Bible, there are over forty human authors. Now, it's hard enough to get two people to completely agree on one point, let alone 40 people to agree on one point. And more importantly, we have thousands of copies uh, of Scripture dated from the first century or earlier. And in these thousands of copies, there is less than 2% disagreement. And in that 2% disagreement, there is nothing that changes the meaning of the text. Now, many of you will know this already, but Emmaus has a course called Christian Evidences, and it used to be taught by Dr. Dave Reed. And one of the assignments that he had was to take the first chapter of the book of John and type it out in all caps with no spaces. And in the class of 30 people, not a single paper was the same. And the differences between those papers was more than 2%. That's astounding. Like, 30 people can't even get it right. Right? In in our modern age, they can't get it right. There's definitely divine preservation in the scriptures. Second, it's not restricted by time or culture. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight but all are naked and exposed to the eye of to whom we must give an account. Hebrews 4:12 through 13. This is an important concept, concept to grasp. A lot of people, when uh, trying to argue against the Bible, they'll say that it's written to a different ta- in a different time to a different culture. And it's simply not true. The word of the Lord lasts forever. We see this in 1 Peter uh, 23, 25. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. I'd like to point out that the time from when Moses wrote the Pentateuch to when Jesus came, It was over a thousand years. But Christ still held it as Scripture. Even though it was written in a different time to a different culture, it was still relevant. So we need to hold to the Scripture's relevance in our lives today. It is everything we need for life and godliness. There we go. Second Peter 1:3, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. And it's important to know our manual. And here's why: we have been instructed to know it. Uh, Second Timothy 2:15. Do your best to present yourself a workman approved unto God who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I don't know about you guys. Every time I read this scripture or hear it, I just want to yell it at the top of my lungs. I'm not quite sure why. It might have something to do with Awana, But <laughs> Now, we need to know the scripture so that we may discern what the will of God is. We see this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and what, accept- what is acceptable and perfect. It is also how we guard ourselves from sinning against God, according to David in Psalm 119, 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, not knowing the scriptures is a dangerous thing. Jesus calls the Sadducees out for not knowing the scriptures. They ask him a question about marriage according to what the scriptures say. And he says, You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now how does that feel having Christ tell you that you're wrong because you don't know the Scriptures which were expressly given to you so that you may know what the will of God is? It's also important to know that what the Scriptures say so we may defend the truth of God. As D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, We have somehow got the idea that error is only that which, which is outrageously wrong. We, seem to, we do not seem to understand that the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. It's easy, when, it's easy to tell when some, somebody's completely missed the mark when it comes to God's truth. And the enemy knows that. We need to be like the Bereans and take everything to Scripture and test it against Scripture. Scripture. Because even though it may sound right, it could be completely wrong. And if it is completely wrong, it could inevitably lead uh, to contentiousness, strife, and eventually it will destroy fellowship. In the light of fellowship, the word tells us how we should live towards one another and how we should defend ourselves. It tells us how we, should defend our, or how we should live towards one another in Romans 12:9 through 21 Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate yourself with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Blessed never avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there are two main points uh, to this verse. And the first one is how we relate to everyone. And that's how we relate to fellow believers, how we relate to the unsaved, and how we relate to our enemies. And the second is how we relate to God. Now the key to the first point on how we relate to everyone hinges on genuine love. If our love is genuine, we will love one another with brotherly affection. We will outdo one another in showing honor. We will contribute to the needs of the saints. We will seek to show hospitality. We will bless those who persecute. We will rejoice and weep with others. We will live peaceably and we will feed our enemies. Now the key to the second point point is to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. If we do this, we will be fervent in spirit. We will serve the Lord. We will rejoice in hope we will be patient in tribulation, we will be consistent in prayer, and we will not repay evil for evil. And the way we do this is by knowing the manual, knowing our scripture. Now, another key to not being overcome by evil is by defending ourselves. And the Bible tells us how to defend ourselves in Ephesians uh, 6, 10 through 18. Finally, brothers... To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Now, there's something important in there that I'd like to just touch on a little bit more. And there are a lot of uh, key ideas in here, but the section that I really want to pull out is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the word in Greek that's used for sword here is makaira, which means a short sword. This is the type of sword that the Roman guards would use that Matthew talked about last week, that were in charge of defending the treasury. These guys wouldn't give an inch to their enemy. They would stand firm and guard what they were given to guard. And that's what we need to do. Now the second uh, part of that is the word of God. Now normally the word logos is used when referring to the word of God as in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But here the word that is used is rema, which means an utterance. A good example of this is Christ in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. When Satan brought a temptation before him, he didn't just quote the entire scripture at him. No, he took short parts of scripture That best defeated Satan's temptation. We should learn from this example. When you're failing the attack of the enemy, the best solution is a short utterance of Scripture to defeat his schemes. Now, if we don't know what the Scripture says, we will not have it at our side as a weapon ready to use when that time comes. Now, there is the same phrase stated in both of these passages. It was stated differently in each, but the idea remains the same. And that is, be consistent in prayer. Or, pray at all times. And this is another way that we can know what our orders are. Our communication with the commander. Prayer is important. It's how we communicate with God. Now, just an interesting little factoid here. I I thought this was kind of interesting. In the entire Bible, pray in all of its forms pray, prayer, prayed, and praying, appears 512 times. And besides the two passages we've already covered, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we should pray without ceasing. I think that we tend to overlook or trivialize prayer. I I know in my life I do this. However, prayer is so important that Christ took the time to teach his disciples how to pray. And we see this in Matthew 6 with the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in, this, in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's break this down a little bit so we can better understand how to have a rewarding prayer life. Jesus starts by addressing the hard issue of prayer. When we pray, we shouldn't be presenting ourselves or we should be presenting ourselves humbly before the Lord. This is not a time to impress others or to further our own agenda, but rather to talk to God and bring needs before him. Now, it's not wrong or bad to pray in public. However, it is wrong to bring attention to yourself through your prayers. If we follow the direction given about prayer, we'll be rewarded, and these rewards are such. It helps redirect the heart. We receive answers and close or open doors. It strengthens the character and spirit, increases faith and spiritual gifting, and brings a deeper sense of the Father's presence and care. Now the Lord's Prayer is truly a model on how we should structure our prayers. How many of you have heard of the ACTS prayer model? Can anybody tell me what it stands for? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That is right. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now this is this is a good model especially to teach little kids how to pray and new believers but Christ kind of structures his prayer a little bit different. First, he starts humbly and with praise. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, is your name. Then, an alignment with the will of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He asks for God's provision of our physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread and then provision for our spiritual needs. Forgive us our debts that we may keep the alignment with his will. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And last, more praise and adoration for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We should never underestimate or overlook prayer. There we go. I know I stated this before, but I want to make sure we all understand how important prayer is. Prayer should never be looked at as a burden. We should never view prayer as something that we need to make time for. Our relationship with God through prayer and through His Word is our priority and we should make time for everything else. Also, prayer should never be a last resort. We tend to be of the mindset that I've tried everything else, now I'll resort to prayer. This is backwards. We should pray first at all times. If we just understood how powerful prayer really is, it would be the first thing that we did. Samuel Chadwick puts it this way, There is no power like that of prevailing prayer, of Abraham pleading for Sodom, Jacob wrestling in the stillness of the night, Moses standing in the breach, Hannah intoxicated with sorrow, David heartbroken with remorse and grief, Jesus in the sweat of blood. Add to this list from the records of the church your personal observations and experiences. And always there is a cost of blood unto passion. Such prayers prevail. It turns ordinary mortal, mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. It brings fire. Now, this, it's a great story. Uh, it comes from the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It's a competition between God and Baal to see who could bring fire to their altar first. Now, after much disappointment on the prophets of Baal's part and much mocking on on Elijah's part, God sets the water-drenched altar aflame. Which brings me to my last point about prayer. God will always answer it. He may not answer it in the way that we want, and the answer may be no a lot of the times. But he will answer it. I recently heard a story about Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, They were about to lose the school because they had taken out some loans uh, to pay for a new facility and they had defaulted on these loans. Now, Henry Ironside, who was a president at the time, uh, took several of the board members into his office the night before the bank was going to foreclose on the school and they prayed all the way through the night. And when dawn was approaching, Henry Ironside simply prayed, Lord, we know that the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. Please sell some of them and send us the money. (laughs) Morning came, and there was a knock on his office door. It was his secretary telling them that there was somebody there to see him. Now, thinking it was somebody from the bank, they gathered themselves together and went out to greet this person. However, it was a rich texas rancher who just said i sold a lot of my cattle and the lord put it on my heart to give you the money from it because i don't need it it was exactly the amount that they needed to keep the school and from that point on they have not been in debt for anything that they've done because of this prayer is a powerful thing and our god is good Finally, we must know the difference between God's knowledge and the world's knowledge. Don't trade the truth of God for a lie. We shouldn't buy into the world's propaganda. Because when man is left to his own devices, we see what happens, and we see it clearly in Romans 1, 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God made himself knowable, and man looked inward instead of towards the Almighty God. Don't be like the rest of the world. Don't be the fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Psalm fourteen, one. Turn to God for wisdom because He is the source. We see this in Proverbs 2.6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Now finally, we are here this morning because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And that is our wisdom. And that is our truth. In First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:18 through 18-25, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demanded signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, because we were once like the world is, and we were wise in our own sight, God made this wonderful, powerful sacrifice a thing of foolishness in the eyes of those who are perishing. so that we would have to count our own wisdom as foolishness in order to draw near to our Creator. Now, as I said before, we are soldiers that are behind enemy lines. We are not of this world, and we need to be unflinchingly rigid when it comes to defending God's truth. We need to take a stand and say, I will hold fast. And I will stand my ground. And the ways we can accomplish this are to study the manual. We need to know what it says, that no matter what the circumstance, we are ready to carry out the orders. But more than that, we need to know what it says so we know how to use it and to wield it properly against the enemy. We need to communicate with the commander. We need to give him a set rep or situation report for those of you who aren't military or video game nerds so that he may refocus us on the mission at hand and provide us with the support that we need. And last, we need to not buy into the propaganda. Don't get caught up in the profligacy of this world. Rather, cling to God The enemy is trying to spread false knowledge and false truth. Rather, align yourselves with the truth that has been given to you in God's word, which is the only truth, the absolute truth. Let's pray. Lord, Father in heaven, we just thank you again so much this morning uh, for your Son and the cross. I just pray that you counted it folly to those who are perishing, because in and of ourselves, we are not wise. We think we are wise, but we are, we are worthless. We, we have nothing in and of ourselves, Lord. I just pray that you would continue to grow us and that we would we would be good soldiers unto you, Lord. We would be disciplined in knowing the Scripture and knowing how to communicate with you, Lord. I just thank you so much again for your son's death on the cross. In some son's name, amen.